glad that God is faithful. And you know, God doesn't just supply our needs as His children, but quite often even our wants, our desires. Sometimes that we don't even ask for things, and yet we delight ourselves in the Lord. He gives us the desires of our hearts. Someone was talking before church, we were talking about the faith of George Mueller and other great Christians of yesteryear. And, you know, we do serve a prayer-answering God in this generation. And He still looks for people to look to Him in faith-believing. And uh, I wished I'd have had some with me. We just ran out and uh, getting some more published. But my dad's little booklet on prayer, it's just several sermons of his on prayer. I tell people you could find better outlines on prayer as far as preaching outlines. Uh, but you won't read after a man that will make you want to pray more than my dad did. And I was blessed to uh, grow up in his home and see him live the things that he talks about in the book and just his walk with God. And man, I tell you, I'm grateful for the goodly heritage. And his mother, my dad's parents, of course, his dad died when I was 10. And I know he was a very uh, dedicated uh, believer and had a wonderful testimony, but you know, uh, my memory of my grandma is even greater because she lived a number of years after that. And uh, her childlike faith was always so impressive. I mean, she just believed if God said it, that settled it. And she never doubted it. I'm telling you, it was amazing to be around her. And, and uh, my grandma was the kind of person I want to be this way. But, man, she never spoke a critical word of anybody. And believe me, I tried once or twice to encourage her, but I'm just kidding. I had some cousins that were worth talking about. But anyway, she didn't criticize people. And, and I remember one time I was talking to her. I said, well, Grandma, what about Madeline Murray O'Hare? Look at all she's done to get prayer out of school and her uh, atheism. And she looked at me and said, well, honey, have you ever thought that Madeline Murray O'Hare never heard what you heard and never had people love her like you've had love you? And maybe nobody's ever shared the gospel with her like you've had it shared with you. Matter of fact, why don't we sit down and write her a letter and tell her how that God loves her and that he sent Jesus to die for her. And I'll tell you what, Grandma had me under conviction. She wanted to get the gospel to Madeline Murray O'Hare. And listen, I don't like any of the things she stood for in her wicked ways, but I sure am grateful that I had a grandmother that saw every sinner as a potential for seeing them come to the, uh, Christ. And well, I'm grateful for the heritage I have. And, uh, you know, and, and in this generation, and it seems like our world gets crazier every day. And I know nothing really weird happens out here on the West Coast. Okay, maybe it does. But uh, as our world grows crazier and crazier, I want to remind you that God is still on the throne. And He's still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And it's not too late, as long as there's breath in our lungs, to do a work for the cause of Christ. Uh, we're going to continue tonight uh, talking about missions, and uh, we've talked about the reason for missions, and how the Savior gave a command, and how that uh, we saw the sinner's condition, they're lost without God, and the saint's constraint, that uh, the love of Christ constrains us. And then we spoke about the requirements of missions. Everything I have belongs to God. My tithe, uh, my talents, my time, and uh, my treasures, and my testimony. It all belongs to the Lord, and I need to be faithful, a dear friend, in uh, allowing it to be yielded to Him as a steward of that which He has given me. And then, of course, we mentioned last night faith is essential. We talk about faith, promise, missions, and really faith is essential 
Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And uh, I, I do believe there has often been said a fine line between faith and foolishness. But faith, dear friend, is something that helps us to understand that we are trusting God to do what He has either commanded us or has given us direction to do in our life. Our brother sang a great song a while ago, Here Am I. And uh, you know, the attitude of every believer ought to be, Lord, here am I. Now, you might be afraid tonight. When I was a boy, I used to think, what if God called me to be a missionary? And you fill in the blank, it was always somewhere I wouldn't want to go. I think, what would I do? But you know, as I got older, and I'd find myself saying, Lord, here am I. Well, I see the needs. I don't know about you. I mean, I rarely have ever watched a missionary make a presentation that I didn't want to go and help him. And uh, with few exceptions, and I'll tell you, uh, my heart breaks. Sometimes you see the people of the lands they're going to or people in the cities where they're going to. And, and if your heart isn't tugged with a desire to see God make a difference, something's wrong. Dear child of God, and I realize this is Monday night and the majority of you here, no doubt, are believers. But can I tell you, sometimes we get so caught up in this world we're living in that we forget about the fact that He has given us right here, this New Testament Baptist Church, the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And of course, that faith, as we mentioned last night, requires a confidence in the Word of God and a commitment to the will of God. And then, of course, courage in the work of God. Tonight, I want to look on at the resources for missions. And let me say this as we talk about this. How do we accomplish what, humanly speaking, is an impossible task? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? I don't know the exact number, but I heard recently there are more than 8 billion people on planet Earth. Now, I don't know the guy that counted everybody, but that's a lot of people. 8 billion plus people on planet Earth. And someone would say, well, Brother Graham, for me to go to every single person would be impossible. And I recognize that. And yet somehow when the Lord gave this great commission, He understood the population of the world that would expand. He knew that there would be more and more churches planted as time went on. And He did not lessen our responsibility. Think about what we have as tools today that they didn't have in Bible days. I mean, they didn't have the internet. Now, I decry some of the evil that goes on, but we have a means of communication, dear friend, uh, like they didn't know in those days. And the means of different uh, avenues, whether it be radio or television or other ways to get the Word of God out. It is amazing how the message of God's Word can get out in so many different ways. And of course, I still believe that the greatest way is one-on-one -on -one personal witnessing without a doubt. But preaching and, and bringing people together, there are places where we have have traveled, your pastor has traveled, where it is so easy to gather a congregation, it's almost shocking. And uh, I'm typically not a long-winded preacher, but I'll tell you, I've been in places where you get done preaching and they're begging for more. They're hungry for the Word of God. I preached in India, and the pastor told me, now, Brother Graham, I will interpret for you, and I'd like for you to preach at least an hour. And I said, oh, I don't usually preach an hour. He said, you will tonight. And I said, yes, sir. And so we got finished with the service and got back to his house. And, uh, and I said, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I did. We just seemed to really click. And if you preach through an interpreter, you know, sometimes it just really flows well. And, and I felt that connection with him immediately. And I said, preacher, I thought everything went well. He said, yes, except you preached too short. I said, I have never 
never been accused of that except my first sermon. What do you mean too short? You said an hour. He said, yes, but you preached 30 minutes and I preached 30 minutes. That's an hour. And I said, yes, sir. He said, these people have come a long way. They don't want to hear a 30-minute sermon. They want you to preach at least an hour. He said, they've ridden on trucks. They've come by public transportation. They have walked. They have gathered a dear friend to hear the Word of God preached. And he said, tomorrow night you must give them at least an hour. You an hour, me an hour. Aren't you thankful you're an American? I'm not using an interpreter tonight and that I'm not typically long-winded. Somebody say amen. Anyway, I'll feel like I'm back in Arkansas. You know, in Arkansas, the point I always got the loudest amen on at victory was lastly. (laughs) But anyway, Mark 16, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Again, by way of introduction, the gospel defined as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel delight is that it is universal in its place. Now, there's no place in the world that the gospel isn't needed. You can't name a country where they don't need the gospel. I was going to Russia in 1992. I made two trips there that year. And on my second trip, I met my cousin Tom, my brother-in-law John, my oldest son went with us. And uh, we were flying out of Chicago to London and then from London on from there to Russia. But anyway, as uh, we were on our way there, a gentleman uh, volunteered to drive us from uh, where we met at Tom's Church to Chicago to be dropped off at the airport. When we got there, of course, I was thanking him because, you know, we pulled right up to the curb. We didn't have to fool with leaving a vehicle behind. And so I said, sir, I want to thank you for bringing us here. And he said, oh, I don't mind bringing you here, but personally, I think you're wasting your time. And I said, do what? He said, well, I wouldn't go over and spend my time trying to help those communists. And I said, oh, you don't understand. Communism may be the form of government in Russia, but the people of Russia by and far would give anything if they have what you have tonight, the liberty, the freedom. And I'm telling you, when we got to go there and preach the Word of God during that open span of time, and I'll deal with another day perhaps why God opened it up, but I will say this, what a joy it was to stand and preach to people in Russia the gospel of Jesus Christ. I used to daydream when I was in high school about going into the Soviet bloc and carrying the gospel there, maybe going underground, maybe sneaking in as many others I'd read about. And here I was freely flying in there to stand and boldly preach the Word of God and to tell people the good news of salvation. No, no, it's not a waste of time. And there's not a place, dear friend, where they don't deserve to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ above anybody else. So we find it's universal in its place. It's unlimited in its presentation. I mean, listen, the gospel is for everyone. And then not only that, it's unmatched in its passion. There's not a greater message. You know, a friend of mine put a comment out about what's going on in the Middle East and Boy, some of the comments back and forth of people and the hatred and the vitriol and boy, it's just hard to fathom. Can I tell you something? I'm glad we serve the God who loves and longs to change people's lives. We have a message of hope. We have a message of salvation. Take your Bibles. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for a few moments tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And verse number 1, I know you're familiar with these verses, but let's take a moment to look at them tonight. We'll begin in verse number 1, 2 Corinthians 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded 
under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and uh, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all diligence and in love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Now we mentioned the essence of faith last night, and could I say, as uh, faith is also vital in this matter of mission giving tonight, we also see that promise is necessary. Uh, That is to set before, the word promise means to set before a declaration made by one person to another. A commitment that is made to allow, uh, as missions giving goes, the funds to be available for the missionaries. Now, every church may do it a little differently, but often if you fill out a commitment card, we know that uh, your commitment is letting us know how that we can budget for the year ahead, how that we can add more missionaries, how that we can do more for the cause of Christ. And so it is a great biblical way to allow the church to be able to plan and prepare and be ready uh, for the work of uh, supporting missions around the world. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight, and I only have two big points. Could I hear an amen? You know, it's never them big points that get you, though. It's them little ones that come behind it. But I will be as quick as I can tonight. But, but I want to talk to you tonight about the grace of giving. We know that uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 10 actually have a lot to say about giving. And much of what is said here, I believe, is in relation to mission giving. But I want you to think about this and just two things tonight that I want to uh, bring our attention to. Number one, the example of the Savior. I think it's always good if we start with the best. And he's the best example that I've ever known. The songwriter said, oh, to be like thee. Do you have a desire in your heart tonight to be like the Savior? I love that song that says, more like the Master would I ever be. So we notice the example of the Savior. The Bible said in verse number 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. We notice the example of the Savior. If you would, keep your place there and go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 for just a moment. Genesis 3 and verse 15, if you'd like to follow that verse with me. And I'm talking about the example of our Savior In Genesis 3.15, the Bible said this, Adam and Eve, of course, had sinned in the garden and God is dealing with them and dealing with all that has transpired with Adam, with Eve, and even with the serpent. And he says this in verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we recognize here that God is addressing in particular the serpent here, 
And how that he, of course, uh, Adam had said, you know, when God said, you know, Adam, where art thou? And he said, you know, Lord, I hid myself. And the Lord said, you know, why would you hide yourself? He said, well, the woman thou gavest me. And man, we've been blame shifting ever since. Well, it was my buddy's fault. Lord, he taught me. No, no. And, and so God, uh, of course, then dealt with Adam, but he also dealt with Eve. He said to Eve, well, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So then he comes to the serpent and here's what he says. And there are three things in this verse that stand out to me. First of all, the promise of a battle. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. There's going to be a warfare. Would you agree with me tonight? There is a battle still going on between mankind and the devil. He is the very enemy of our soul. Listen, I know we have other enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But mark it down. He's still against faith promise missions. He's still against souls being saved. He's still against the work of God. He hasn't changed his mind. The serpent is is, of course, uh, in battle with us tonight. But he gave also the promise of a birth. He said, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed. God said that there would be the seed of a woman. That's an interesting statement there because if you remember in your Bible, we're often told about the uh, people in the Bible like this. Abraham beget Isaac and Isaac beget Jacob and Jacob and right on down the line. And it's always the seed of a man that's mentioned. But here in Genesis 3.15, we have the prophecy of a miraculous birth, how that Jesus Christ would become born of a virgin, the sinless Son of God. Now, let me hasten to say, He didn't have His beginning at Bethlehem's manger. He's always been the eternal Son of God. But dear friend, when He came into this world, robed Himself in human flesh, and took upon Himself the form of a man, being equal with God, yet He submitted Himself to death, even the death of the cross. What a Savior we have. He came into this world for the purpose of dying for our sins. And then there's a promise of a bruising. He said, I'll, uh, the, he said, the seed of the woman, or it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, there's going to be a time, Satan, when you're going to bruise his heel. And that happened at Calvary. But oh, thank God, he bruised the head of the serpent. One preacher said, head busting runs in my family. I thought that was pretty good. But we find here, the Savior was prophesied in the Old Testament. But the Savior is present in the New Testament. Galatians 4, 4 said, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Would you agree with me tonight that no one has ever set a better example than the Lord Jesus Christ? No one has ever showed themselves, uh, dear friend, uh, to be more loving and more caring and, and to have the answer to man's need than Jesus Christ. So can I tell you, if you're looking for the example of examples, look to Christ who alone, dear friend, is perfect in every way. He is perfect without fail, without flaw. He is the eternal Son of God. And I look at His example and I see all that He did for me. He left the splendor of heaven. The songwriter said, knowing His destiny, yet He was willing to die. He was wounded for my transgressions and your transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. The Bible said it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Let me tell you, Calvary was not an accident. It was not an afterthought. But it was always God's divine plan that Jesus would be the Savior of mankind. Before the foundation of the world, He's the 
lamb that was slain. Listen, I'm so glad that Jesus loved us. And when I look at His unconditional love for us, what right do I have to become selfish and self-centered and say, well, I don't care if they get saved or not. No, friend, I ought to have a love like Christ had for every lost sinner, the example of the Savior. A big number two. Ooh, I'm on the second point already. They might start running the aisles here in a moment. I'll think I'm in a deep south camp meeting. Just kidding. The example of the saints. So we go back here and Paul begins to talk about the churches of Macedonia. That would include Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. And Paul starts out by asking for our attention. He said, we do you to wit. In other words, he said, we want to make known to you. Paul said, I want you to pay close attention to what I'm saying. Church, tonight as we're talking about missions, let's give our attention to what's going on in the writings here of Paul as he's challenging the believers at Corinth concerning this matter of giving and the grace of giving. Uh, he, he asked for their attention. But then he goes to the next word, which is affliction. He said, uh, I do uh, you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the great trial of affliction. You know, if you want to get people excited about things, I don't know if you want to go right to trials and testings. But can I be honest with you? God is honest with us. He didn't paint a picture of these people living in the lap of luxury with wealth at their fingertips, but He said they were in a great trial or a great test. There was persecution going on. There was many things happening at their time. But I love the next thing that He mentions here, the abundance of their joy. The abundance of their joy. Did you know nobody has any more right or reason to be happy than the child of God. Some of you have experienced, I'm sure, in your life, the death of a loved one. And I will tell you, it's not always easy, is it, to say goodbye to folks that we love. I was uh, on Facebook briefly today, and I noticed a, a post that had been several years ago, but it had been reposted, and it was my sisters and uh, one of their best friends gathered around my sister's uh, tombstone there in Illinois and just some you know commentaries were made about them getting together and, and uh, seeing each other and and uh, somebody asked uh, the uh, friend uh, you know what was your connection said well she was my best friend but you know I stayed a lot of nights in their home and so I was like family and I've always considered her sisters my sisters her brother my brother and you know we're just uh, friends to this day and and you know just reading the comments there and can I tell you something my sister's been gone for over 46 years or actually 46 years this week and can I tell you something I'm fully assured she's in heaven I don't have any doubt about that she had a testimony of a no-so salvation but you know what I found myself doing today for just a brief moment wiping a tear from my eye not because I won't see her again not because I don't know she's in heaven but I'll tell you Paul said we sorrow not as others which have no hope I'm glad he didn't say we sorrow not or I'd have been in trouble. But not as others which have no hope. While I was thinking about her, you know, my mind goes back to others that have gone on before me. But you know, at the same time, there's a joy that the believer has. My first funeral I ever preached all by myself. I assisted my dad with a couple. But I preached a funeral. Uh, it was actually in Mackinac. 
And the gentleman that died was 86 years of age. And, and uh, I was talking to his family and asked him, Hey, uh, tell me your dad's testimony. Well, uh, dad never did get saved. He just never did have time for church and never had time for Christianity. And, and they said, you know, but he lived a long life and we just kind of hope it all, you know, uh, works out. Well, I'll tell you, friend, it doesn't matter how long you live. If you miss Jesus Christ, you've missed it all. Can I tell you, it was very difficult that day to stand And I couldn't give hope to them about a man they all knew died without Christ. All I could do is present the gospel to them. But in some ways, his funeral was much harder than my sister's. Much harder than my brother's. Much harder than my parents. Much harder than my in-laws. Though I preached all of their funerals. And I'll tell you why. Because without a doubt, dear friend, I know where my loved ones are at. And I have a joy that I can't, uh, you know, that can't be taken away from me. The world doesn't understand that. I'm not happy to have any one of them gone. But I have joy in my heart knowing that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Paul's talking about the deep faith of these believers here and their joy. But then he says... Uh, Let's take an assessment. Paul's going to talk about how they gave. And he said, And their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Deep poverty. Now to speak of giving doesn't seem to be a logical thing when you're talking about deep poverty. You know, faith, dear friend, is uh, of course a confidence in God. And it is not, listen, it is not the size of your gift. You know, we're not to compare ourselves by ourselves. Jesus saw a widow throw in the two mites. And man, it was bigger than anybody else's gift as far as her sacrifice. And we don't need to, it's not a competition or anything like that. But you think about this, the grace of God in giving defies human reasoning. You know, if God tells me to do something, and I don't believe, listen... Other people may preach it. I don't believe God's going to ask something of you that He will not enable you to do. I don't believe that God's going to put some request on somebody's heart to do something, dear friend, that would uh, in somehow be an impossibility. If God doesn't supply it, then you know God didn't tell you to do it. But I remember a man my dad led to the Lord many years ago. We were still in Lincoln. And man, he was, he was a drunkard. And I thought he was an old man. I didn't realize how hard liquor had infected his life and his body. And and he uh, was a guy that worked through the week but got drunk every weekend. And and, uh, long story short, he got saved and, boy, got in church, got on fire for God and surrendered to preach. I found out later he was barely in his 30s. I thought he was an old man. And, uh, you know, liquor had taken a hard effect on him. But he went off to Bible college. And uh, at Bible college, he learned about Faith Promise Missions. And boy, he decided he was going to give to Faith Promise Missions. And so he told the Lord that he was going to give $5 a week uh, above his tithe to Faith Promise Missions. He was a member of Brother Tom Wallace's church out there where he was going to school at that time and studying to be an associate pastor in the bus ministry. And, and so he went out there to school and he had committed $5 a week. And one week he had ran his bus route on Saturday and he did not have his $5. And he said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have my faith promise for tomorrow. He said, I was walking in downtown Louisville and all of a sudden a guy grabbed me, pulled me into the alley and said, I want your money or I'm going to kill you. And Bob had this uh, one eye that would water all the time. He always had a hanky out, looked like he's crying, but only in one eye. And uh, that eye began to water 
And uh, the guy said, hey, man, I didn't mean to make you cry. Just give me your money and I'll be out of here. He said, I have no money. He showed him his wallet. He said, I'm, I'm broke. And he said, I was just walking along praying for my faith promise. And now you want to kill me. The guy said, praying for your what? He said, my faith promise. He said, what's that? He said, well, I told the Lord I would give to our church in their mission giving program to send missionaries around the world. And I would give $5 every week. And I've done it every week without fail. But this week, I don't have the $5. That guy looked at him and said, if you won't yell or scream, give me time to get out of here. I'll give you your $5 for faith promise. He got to church next morning. He told Brother Wallace that story. Can I tell you something, dear friend? That's not how I want to get my faith promise mission giving. But I'll tell you, Bob was so excited how God met the need for him in an alley in Louisville, Kentucky. But I am saying this. God is not assessing us on the basis of what can I do compared to what you can do, but what can I do compared to what God would ask of me. And if I'll do what he says, he's faithful. And it's exciting to me how that He can help us to not only assess what we uh, are led to give, but then notice this, the achievement. Verse 5 and 6 says this, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he began, so he would finish uh, in you the same grace also. Notice what happened as they begin to tell God, Lord, we want to give. Yes, we've got some uh, problems going on. Yes, we've got some challenges here, but we're going to do it. So the first thing they did was gave themselves. You know, that's really where it starts. You know, if God has me, He has my wallet. If God has me, He has my possessions. If God has me, look, and, and I mean this with all my heart, I'm to be a good steward. Now, you know, some people can take this and, and maybe use it foolishly against God's people and say, you know, well, everything you have belongs to God, so give me your car, give me your house, or something like that. And, and we know that we're to be good stewards of what God has given to us. But what I should have a heart as a believer to say, Lord, I understand everything that you've given to me is your good hand. And so, Lord, help me to be a good steward of it. Help me to be wise with it, whether it be my finances or whatever it might be, a possession that I have. But most of all, they were willing first to give themselves. I can't tell you what it means to know believers when you're a pastor who have said, first and foremost, I want you to know I'm yielding myself to the Lord. I'd been pastoring in Benton for several years. We had a man in our church. When I first went there, his wife was the church secretary. He was not saved. And, and I won't go into the details of, of how uh, the situation came up where he told me he would come to church that Sunday. And he started coming to church. And, you know, it wasn't long till one day he was at work and got under conviction at work and uh, got saved at work because the Lord told him, what if you don't make it home? It's a long ways from Little Rock to Benton. And uh, so anyway, he said, I told the Lord, okay, I'll, I'll pray. His daughter put a track in his uh, lunch pail. And, and, uh, and the Lord said, well, get on your knees. And he said, well, Lord, I'm the supervisor here at the post office. If I get on my knees, somebody will think something's wrong. And he said, it's like the Lord said, well, then you don't mean it. He said, okay, I'll do it. That wasn't audible, but he got on his knees. Anyway, he cried out to the Lord, got saved. And he came to my office that Wednesday night, and he said, preacher, you notice anything different about me? I said, you got saved. He, he was wondering how I knew. He said, well, I thought my wife would notice. I went home and asked her, you notice anything different about me? And she said, did you get a haircut? He said, I'm like, man, I thought she was more spiritual than that. But, you know, he had never been to church on Wednesday night. He had never come to my office. 
And I'd never seen him grinning from ear to ear like he was looking right then. I figured the Lord had done something in his life. And he's a very shy man. He had a background before salvation in, in both rock and roll and, and country music and had played for some famous people. And, and, uh, but, he, but he was somewhat shy in front of people. And he said, uh, I guess I'm going to have to make it public, right? I said, yeah. He said, do you know how long this church has been praying for me? I said, oh, yeah. He said, you know what's going to happen Sunday when I walk forward the men are going to come running up. They're all going to want to hug my neck and the women will be crying and they'll be hugging my wife's neck and it'll be a real emotional time. I said, yeah, won't it be great? And he said, man, I don't know if I can do it. I said, well, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but also said, whosoever uh, calleth on him will not be ashamed. And you're not ashamed of Jesus, are you? He said, no, I'll do it, preacher. So he walked the aisle made public his salvation, and just like he said, the men came running up, hugging and crying, and the ladies came hugging his wife and crying, and it was a sweet time in the service. And, and uh, so had the privilege of seeing his son get in church. His son got saved as a young man, but was never discipled. Got in our church, and man, I mean, got rock solid, got faithful coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Prior to that, he would say, I was a hit-and-miss Christian. I go to church every now and then. And he said, for years... One day he drove out to my house. We lived way out in the country back then. He said, uh, when he got there, I could tell he was really bothered. I said, what's the matter, brother? He said, i got to tell you something, but I don't know how to tell you. I said, well, just say it. He said, you know, for years, Brother Graham, when you became pastor of this church and Dad got saved and I got in and my family got in, he said, I used to think, I wonder what will happen to me if Brother Graham ever leaves here. He said, I used to think I'll probably go back just like I was, just a nominal now and then a church attender. And then he started quivering. And he said, Preacher, I hope you stay here for the rest of our lives. But I just want you to know if you leave here, I'm not going anywhere. This is my church. And I'm going to stay faithful in this church. And I'm going to serve God here. He said, I didn't know how to tell you that. I was afraid I'd hurt your feelings. I said, are you kidding? That is the greatest compliment a pastor could ever have. You've gone beyond just loving the preacher. You've fallen in love with Jesus Christ. And you've fallen in love with this church. By the way, I'm not the pastor there anymore. He's still faithfully serving God there. Why? Because he found something bigger than just loving the preacher. He found something greater than just loving an individual. He fell deeply in love with the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. He gave Himself. And when He gave Himself, oh, what a powerful difference it made. Then they gave their substance. And, uh, you know, the beauty of giving. One songwriter said, it keeps on coming back. It keeps on coming back. Everything I give or give in His name, it keeps on coming back. Don't you know when I handed out the front door? Well, He hauls it in the back door. I can't get ahead of Him. It keeps on coming back. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give in your bosom. I will tell you this, God is not interested in trying to break you of everything and leave you in a situation where you can't have two nickels rubbed together. But He is wanting you to be a part of the greatest economy that the world could ever know. And that is the cause of Christ. And then notice the abounding. Verse 7, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. And the grace he's talking about abounding there is the grace of giving. God blesses giving. One preacher said, we're never more godly or godlike than when we're giving. God honors the giving of His people. 
Well, there are many other things that I could say about giving, and we'll touch on it some more tomorrow night, but you cannot give the Lord. And you know, the beauty of it is, I just have to ask the Lord, what would you have me to do? And every year, this is what I pray, Lord, increase my faith. Lord, help me to be able to do more next year than I did this year. And uh, sometimes God may lead you to do that. Sometimes He may not. But make sure you follow the Lord and you won't ever be sorry for that because you cannot go wrong following God in the principles of giving. I would remind you, the tithe is the Lord's. And we give our tithe to the Lord. And and when we do that, let me say that giving our tithe to the Lord, of course, uh, teaches us about obedience. Then when we tithe and give offerings, it teaches us about ownership. Everything I have belongs to God. But then when I give to Faith Promise Missions, it teaches me about others. And I'm giving to something that's going to be beyond these four walls. Something that's going to go to the regions beyond that we sang about a while ago. And here's the beauty of it. Every one of us can be a part of it just by our giving to the missions right here at Berean Baptist Church. You have the privilege of being a part of the greatest work going on on planet earth, the cause of Christ. Father, we love you. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take these simple thoughts tonight and help us, Lord, as we look at missions and the great need. Lord, maybe even this week before it's over, someone will sense the call in their life to go perhaps to a field, to plant a church, to a foreign field. Maybe, Lord, within the congregation, some are even praying already, Lord, what would you have me to do in mission giving? Lord, increase our faith. Lord, increase what can be done, Lord, through Berean Baptist Church. Lord, I know you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, bless the invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand quietly to our feet and the music begins to play. And